Sales Tuners, Episode 65, Corey Bray, Co-Founder at Closed Loop. Listening to what a salesperson says is interesting, but reading their notes is even more interesting because what they write down shows you more. What they write down shows you what they think they said or what they think they heard, and it also shows what they think is important. This is Sales Tuners with Jim Brown. The only weekly show where we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that get sales reps and entrepreneurs to grow their revenue from $1 million to more than $10 million in just two years. All I do is win, 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 no matter what. Got money on my mind, I can never get enough. And every time I step up in the building, everybody hands go up. It's time. It's time. It's Sales Tuners time. I'm Jim Brown, your host, and our weekly inspiration comes from John Locke, who said the improvement of understanding is for two ends. First, our own increase of knowledge. Secondly, to enable us to deliver that knowledge to others. Joining me today is Corey Bray, co-author of the Sales Enablement Playbook and co-founder at Closed Loop, a management consulting firm focused on sales enablement. Like me, Corey is a gambling addict and finds ways to bet on seemingly everything. But after losing his front teeth playing a game of baseball, he says, well, losing a deal from time to time is really no big deal. Before we dive in, I want to say a quick thank you to our sponsors. You've heard me talk about them for a couple of months now, but you have to check out Costello. It's a deal management platform that aligns frontline sales reps, managers, and VPs so they can work together to consistently close more deals. They help reps get the right deal information from prospects, give reps and managers visibility into the quality of every deal, and help sales leaders understand what's working and what's not. Check it out at andcostello.com. That's A-N-D-C-O-S-T-E-L-L-O.com. Make sure you stick around until the end where I'll give my recap and top takeaways. You can also check out all the links and show notes at salestuners.com slash 65. But now let's get to the conversation where Corey shares how his former sales trainer fired him. He fired me. I walked in one day and he said, look, man, we've looked at this thing from every single angle and you do not have a sales problem. You have a product problem and you have a market problem and I can't help you. So I don't feel comfortable taking your money anymore. And so he, I was, my company was paying for it. And I, I went back to my, my boss and I said, Hey, I'm not going to see this guy anymore. And I think the next conversation was something like, I said, Hey, I don't think the product's sellable. And he said, I think we have a pricing problem. And I giggled. Interesting. <laughs> I said, this guy's been a, a sales management consultant for eight years and he's telling me my product's not sellable. It's not a pricing problem, dude. What did he say to this? Well, he, he insisted it was a pricing problem. So what, what did I do as a, as a diligent analyst slash sales guy? I went and got my spreadsheet together and made a list of reasons we lost and reasons we sold, stalled every single deal in the pipeline and called every single one of them and explored different ways to price our product to see if they'd buy. Guess how many people bought after that exercise? I would say zero. You nailed it, sir. Wow. That's interesting. <laughs> I'm yeah, out. So I'm, I said, all right, well, I said, I'm out. I got to go do something else. That's fantastic. And, and that's when you left to, to start Closed Loop. That's correct. That's incredible. Well, Corey, in this show, as you know, we talk about the behaviors, attitudes, and techniques that have led to your success. And so I want to kind of jump right into that. You know, Tell me what Closed Loop is and, and why does a typical customer buy from you? We're a management consulting firm focused on sales enablement. And what we really do is help companies accelerate growth. 
Sales enablement is a big buzzword. I imagine you hear it all the time, right, Jim? Absolutely. But what is it? Everybody thinks it's something different. And I think that it's, it's confusion has caused a lot of problems where companies have more and more come to the belief that they need somebody to do sales enablement. Whereas Hillman and I really look at sales enablement as an ecosystem that extends throughout an organization. So what we're trying to do is say, hey, look, your goal is to grow revenue, grow profitability, retain your best employees. And there's a lot of things that you can do, but throwing one body at it isn't necessarily going to work. So let's take a step back and explore the ways that sales and marketing and customer success, even finance and HR, from the executive ranks all the way down to the individual contributors, how can all of these different folks, departments, roles, functions within your organization work together to truly enable sales? And it's really, it's really eye-opening once we get into these conversations with people. Well, it really is. And like you said, sales enablement means so many different things to so many different people. And, you know, I, I've heard people, some people say it's sales support. Some people say it's sales operations. Some people say it's just sales. Other people say, well, it's marketing. So how do you kind of make that the entire organization and, and have the conversation at that level? Let me ask you, how many vendors does the traditional or typical company have? I would say 10 plus. 10 plus, 10, 20, 30 vendors, right? Well, can your contacts at each of those vendors talk about what your product does and how you help customers? All of us, we all say we are a customer-centric company. I think that's table stakes now. Everybody wants, at least they say they are, customer-centric. Well, you have vendors who are customer-centric. And you know how you're worried about churn? Well, your vendors are worried about churn too. So if you go to one of your vendors and you say, hey, vendor, just wanted to walk you through what we do tell you, here's, here's the type of companies that we're looking for. And by the way, I see that you're connected to a couple on LinkedIn. Would you mind making an intro? Hmm. That right there is sales enablement. It ain't about delivering PowerPoints and PDFs tagged in Salesforce. I mean, that's, that's something that sales enablement does. But I think that some of the technology vendors have hijacked the vocabulary and really watered it down to the point where some of the things people are focusing on just isn't impactful. So how does an organization, Corey, get started with this concept? I have never heard anyone say you could go to your vendors, show them what it is that you do, understand that they are connected to the same people you're trying to close to because it's just not a process. Like they're not your prospects. So tell me how a company even gets started with this. They need to do an assessment and figure out what their goals are. First of all, they need to say, okay, well, today we're doing 20 million in revenue. Next year, we need to do 30 million in revenue. Here are the human resources we have. Here are the physical resources or, or software products, depending on your business we have. How confident are we that we can get there? And, and what are, the, what are our, our opportunities for improvement and where can we really start to, to tweak things in a way that we can be confident that we can hit our goals? Because that's what it's all about. It's about aligning day-to-day -day activities with the board level goals. And it's, it's just that simple. But it's, the, the, the challenge is that it's easy to do certain things. And so a lot of times people that are focused on things like sales enablement drift towards those easy concepts. Let me give you, I'll give you three real quick. One is product training. So Jim, if your company built a product, do you think they already have that defined somewhere maybe before they wrote the code? The product itself, of course. Yeah, of course they do. So, so how is product training a sales enablement job? How's that a job? It's already defined somewhere else. So you're translating English into English. So that, that's not work. The second one is objection handling. Okay, let's take a video camera and put it in front of, of all of our good salespeople and say, hey, if a prospect says this, what do you say? Okay, we record that stuff. We throw it up on YouTube. 
So two of the things that a lot of sales enablement functions focus on, that's not even real work. <laughs> and then the third one is onboarding. And, and when you talk about, talk about onboarding, what are you doing? Are you teaching them sales? Well, shouldn't they already know sales? Or do you hire accountants that don't know accounting or lawyers that didn't go to law school? So I think that's the challenge is moving the human, the hours spent from menial tasks like the three I just described into things like, oh, let's rally our vendors around the product or let's go find all the employees who used to work at our customers who now work somewhere else and engage them and say, hey, you loved our product when you worked at company X. Now you work at company Y. Might it be a fit there? Corey, you haven't actually always been in sales, right? So how did you even get started in this space? Well, I was doing finance and operations for five or six years. And my last job, I was head of operations at a company, had a 70 person team as we grew from 75 million to 135 million in revenue, did a lot of things on the process improvement front. And I said, let's start a consulting company to go do this for other companies. And one of my mentors said, man, you're going to fail if you don't learn how to sell. How did you go from getting into the management consulting to deciding to write a book about it? So it was knowledge management for sales teams. And everybody kept saying, well, we need to figure out who's going to lead our sales enablement function. And then when they get a person, they say, oh, well, we need to figure out process. And then they figure out process or start working towards that and say, okay, well, we need a learning management system. We need all of these different things. Knowledge management was kind of at the end of the road, coupled with the fact that it was just completely unclear what sales enablement actually was or what some of the opportunities were, some of the, th some of the tactics that we've talked about today. So Hillman and I said, let's just write this down. Uh, I've built sales training programs at three different companies. Hillman's coached and trained over a thousand salespeople. So combined with the two of us, as well as interviewing a bunch of people, we just cranked out this book. You mentioned just the, even the idea of the concept of employee onboarding earlier. You said how that's kind of a, not a menial task, but what are you teaching them? Why would you hire an accountant if they don't know how to do accounting? So where, why would you hire a salesperson who doesn't know how to sell? But it seems like a lot of companies are doing that. So talk to me about that. How do you guys help companies onboard new sales reps? Or what have you found to be the best way to do that? Okay, there's two pieces. One is sales skills, and you've got to learn. So figure out how to be good at sales, and then also figure out how to be good at sales within the context of your company. So assuming you start a job and you know how to sell, why have people bought from you in the past? And there's, there's this matrix that I really love that's in our book that's called the persona pain feature content matrix. Simply put, for each persona, what pain do you solve? What feature in your product solves that pain? And what content, which could be messaging or a case study or a customer story, talks about that feature solving that pain for that persona? That's... That's it. Take that, combine it with sales skills, rock and roll. While we've had this explosion of technology companies, we have not had the same explosion of sales talent. And so you kind of got to go outside the industry and hire whoever you can that, that you know, can, can do the job. And oftentimes that person is, they, they're brought in, they're taught the features and functions and benefits, and then they're told to go sell. And it's kind of like, good luck. How do I get that from employees started, employee onboarded, through the product training, and then out and talking to customers? You've got to have a sales training program or bring in an external consultant, honestly. I think that that's, that's the best move because a couple of reasons. One, if somebody's really, really, really solid and they're an external consultant, they can come in and just work magic in a limited engagement. And then the other thing is that, the especially millennials, and I can say this because I am one, 
we'll look up to them a little more because we're not used to them every day. It's like, oh, it's special because Jim's coming in today. And and it just has a bigger impact. And along those lines, one more thing there, Jim, is, I mean, you, you just nailed it. There's the, the sales talent isn't being developed. And I think one of the challenges is that people are hiring folks into sales development roles, which are just people that sell meetings. They schedule meetings and then they promote them into selling roles. Whereas, you know, there's there's guys over at, at Nordstrom's selling shoes who are actually giving somebody something in exchange for cash, getting that real world customer experience. And I think that things like that are more aligned with B2B account executive roles than selling a meeting to someone who's just evaluating everybody in the Gartner quadrant. If I'm going to hire a brand new SDR, and more likely today they are a 22-year-old, which in my opinion is it's the hardest job in sales to just go out and set meetings, especially if you don't get to close them on the back end. You, you, you do all the work for, all, for none of the glory, and you just have to do it over and over and over, get, told, get rejected all the time. How are you doing that? How do you onboard them? I think it's, it's very simple. It's just work backwards. And if, if the SDRs are in a qualification role, that's one thing. If they're just simply scheduling meetings, that's something else. If they're scheduling meetings, I don't know why you're hiring college graduates, by the way. But if, if, they're, if they're qualifying meetings, say, okay, what, what does a perfect handoff look like to an account executive? And typically that could be qualification notes are very, very well built out in Salesforce. One, one framework I love for sales development is the framework of concise, specific, and accurate. Think about that. Everything that you say to your account executive, your manager, somebody else internally, if you keep it concise, specific, and accurate, that's going to win all day, every day. Because I think the challenge is that, especially if you're doing outbound, right? This person wasn't looking for you. And so there's so many things that you could talk about. There's things that you could, you could capture when you hand off the, the deal to the AE. Is it really qualified? Who knows? But if you get really strong feedback and have those AEs really rip those deals apart when you start and say, this one was, this was great for this reason, this was bad for this reason, and, and tune your SDR to the point where they know exactly where they need to get the deal to hand it off, then you're going to be in pretty good shape. I love that concept. I want to talk about this concept of information overload and how it's killing sales teams. It specifically seems like it's killing tech sales teams because they're also building huge tech stacks. So now you've got the, the product itself that you have to learn. You've got the entire tech stack and all the different tools that you're supposed to just learn and, and have knowledge of. Then you've got all the different competitors that you have to understand. How are you bridging the gap for all of that to turn that information, as you say, into knowledge? Just got to simplify it, man. Yeah. I mean, it, it's crazy. Just the things you just talked about. I mean, a tech stack for a salesperson, you got, you got your CRM, you got your email cadence tool, you got your calendar scheduling tool, you've got maybe gong or something like that to listen to calls. You've got all, all kinds of things that are running around. Then you've got your sales process. Then you've got your sales methodology. Then you've got your manager, you've got your coworkers, you've got your AE SDR relationship. And then you've got your prospects. Oh, and the competitors. And by the way, you know how your company is really innovative because they ship code every two weeks? Well, <laughs> guess what? All of your competitors do that too. So how are you going to keep up with that? It is insane. So I think the key is just to simplify things and avoid trying to run around trying to make things complex. That's just the, that's the killer. Complexity is the killer. It really is. I think when we boil everything down, we are truly simple beings. And so I know there's tons of great software out there that with huge complex selling processes, but when you actually think about it, 
it doesn't matter what your product does. It matters what problem the customer is trying to solve. And until you get to that level of conversation and understand how it's truly impacting them, you're dead in the water from the get-go. So quit focusing all the, the different bells and whistles. But uh, I just, I don't know. I, I feel like we're on the same page with that, but I, I need to get other people uh, on that uh, on the train. So on that point, the best way to demonstrate that, have you seen the Super Mario graphic to demonstrate that point? Maybe not. Keep telling. Keep talking. So there's, this, there's, this, there's this guy, Samuel Hulick, H-U-L-I-C-K. He runs useronboard.com and it might be useronboard.io. It's useronboard. And he it, it's essentially a graphic that says, here's little Mario and then little Mario eats the flower. So little Mario is your prospect. The flower is your product. And then he turns into Fireball Mario. And Fireball Mario, for, for those of you who didn't play Mario growing up, He's awesome. He can he can kill all the bad guys. And so essentially his point is that your product, you don't make your product. You make Fireball Mario, someone who's awesome, who can do some really cool stuff. And it's like, what? how does your prospect transform once they give you money? That's that's it. As you started to explain that, I have seen that. And I'm going to link to that in the show notes because, yeah, you're absolutely right. It's fantastic. And Corey, I want to dig into the Sales Enablement Playbook. I've been you know, flipping through this for the last week and a half since we uh, scheduled this to, time to record. I love it. One of the things I just found was funny, some of the drawings, your, your sketches in the book are literally back of the napkin sketches. I thought that was fantastic. So I don't know if that was intentional or if they truly are back, uh, back of the napkin sketches, but I thought they were great. No, they're actual napkins. Jessica Churchill, our designer, and I were at Jillian's hanging out. And I said, Jess... I just want to draw these on napkins. So I had drawn the diagrams on whiteboards as we were brainstorming how to articulate some of the concepts. And she said, really? Just hand-drawn on napkins? I said, yep. She goes, okay, you're my easiest client to work with. <laughs> well, I, I tell you, I mean, I just think it fits because, you know, to me, sales enablement is, it's an agile process. And I don't mean to say that in the developer's terms, but like you need to quickly get something out. You need to go and test it against the world and then bring it back and iterate about what actually works and what doesn't. So it's not something completely written in stone. And so for me, when literally as I'm, I'm flipping through the pages of this book, to see those back of the napkin drawings was great. And, you know, I think others were like just grid line paper. And so it, it really was fantastic. In the book, uh, Corey, you wrote, a required competency for effectively managing a sales enablement ecosystem is coaching. So similar to sales enablement, a lot of definitions of coaching out there. Tell me what coaching means to you. Well, coaching's the act of taking someone from a current state to a future state by applying skills that they have already acquired. And I, I totally just made that up on the fly. But I think <laughs> I... I endorse that two seconds later. Well, you sold yeah, me on it. I mean, you're a coach, Jim. What do you think? Is that does that jive? Oh, it's very accurate for sure. Yeah, because I think that you don't want to conflate training and coaching. I mean, it, it, think about basketball for a second. So I played basketball growing up in high school. And training is how do you dribble? How do you shoot? Coaching is how do you dribble around a pick when the defense is in a certain formation and there's – 12 seconds left on the clock and you're down by three points. That's coaching. It's, it's about applying the skills that you've already acquired. If you don't have the skills going back to, if you don't know how to sell, why are you in sales? Figure that out. That's nine one one. Go get those skills and then figure out how to apply them. Cause applying them is actually the hardest part. You're saying that like it's a uh, uh, black and white. You're saying, hey, it's 911. Go get those skills. Uh, not everyone has the ability to do that inside their organization. What are you recommending, Corey, they do uh, if that is the case? If they don't have the, the full stack of skills they wish they had or they think they need to have and they're not able to get it inside their company? 
Well, there's two easy ways to do it. And I'll tell you, I'll tell you how I did it. And I'll tell you how you could do it. I, I took $10,000 of my own money and full transparency. I had about $40,000 at the time and I hired the local uh, sales trainer to put me through a one-year program. That's one way to do it. And if you care about your career, I mean, honestly, if you're in sales, $10,000 is nothing. So that's, that's option A. If you don't want to do that, figure out who has the best sales training program, figure out where they either have an engagement with an external consultant, or if they have some type of really, really solid internal training, quit your job tomorrow and go work there. It'll pay off. One of the things that you and I were talking about before uh, clicking the record button is you said your your 20s are for learning and rounding out your skill set while your 30s and 40s are for earning. That's so true. And what you just said, I have repeated almost verbatim to other people. It's like, look, quit your job. Go work for a VP of sales who is amazing that you can learn from that has already implemented some of these tactics that, as you said, has a uh, uh, relationship with an external vendor. Go get that stuff now. Life is too short. Your career is too short to just fumble your way through this stuff. Go invest in your own career. I love uh, that you said that. Yeah, these are solved problems. Don't get cute. As we talk about that idea of coaching and with the work that you've done with Closed Loop, the work that you've done in sales enablement in general, uh, how do you level up, uh, Corey, the average salesperson to the level of the best reps inside of an organization? I, I think it's trying to figure out what are the attributes of the best reps and how do you take that and apply it to the, the people that are in the middle. And I think that, you know, there's there's a few things that the best reps have that that the average reps don't. One is they disqualify very fast. They don't let people, they don't let prospects linger in their pipeline when they're not really deals. Whereas people in the middle sometimes get happier and thinks that they think a deal is a deal when it's really not. So things like that, try to identify those types of trends or even just anecdotes and then coach to them. How do you see coaching actually getting implemented inside of an organization? I guess what's the actual delivery mechanism or the best one that you've seen? Listening to what a salesperson says is interesting. But reading their notes is even more interesting because what they write down shows you more. What they write down shows you what they think they said or what they think they heard. And it also shows what they think is important. So I would extend coaching beyond just the actions that people take all the way to their interpretations of the actions that they take and then work backwards from there. Keep going with that. I'm intrigued by this. And I remember reading part of this in your book as well. But like looking at their notes, looking at what they wrote down, look at their interpretation. Keep talking on that. What do you mean? When we talk, we have unconscious, you know, it's either unconscious competence or un unconscious incompetence. And I think that's, that's one of the challenges is that if Jim is unconsciously competent when talking about the competition and Corey is unconsciously incompetent when talking about the competition, none of that is going to be able to be surfaced just by listening to their, our voices what you write down demonstrates what you understood and what you feel is important. If you don't think it's important, you're not going to write it down. If you didn't understand it, you're not going to write it down in the way that it should be written down. And so if, if we're talking about coaching and your team is into call recording, then taking the call recording and comparing that to the notes that were taken, that's an amazing coaching opportunity and saying, well, here's what happened. Well, Corey, look, you could have handled this situation a little bit differently on the call. Well, that's great. But also I'm curious, the prospect said A, B, and C, and you only captured C in your notes. Did you not think A and B were important? And we can start coaching to those types of things. And I think then you'll try to 
you'll be able to identify the the weak spots and the people that are moving towards being your top performers but aren't quite there yet. I think that truly is really powerful stuff. I was working with a client today talking about this concept of truly writing things down. And I'm thinking about it even right now as, you know, whenever I do these uh, conversations with sales leaders, I'm taking actual notes as well because I want to go match up the recording that I listened to before we published and look at some of the notes that I took to pull out my highlights and takeaways and all that kind of stuff. And so it's always interesting to me when I go back and listen to it, it said, oh, that's what he was trying to say. I didn't capture it, right? Because the first time that I heard it, it didn't, it didn't resonate. It had to like sink in a little bit. Corey, you've now done this three different companies. You've got a management consulting firm with a product that helps reps do all the types of things that we're talking about today. But what's the biggest thing you've seen a sales rep do to completely just fail or, or lose, lose control of deals? They don't understand why people buy their product and they can't identify people that should buy their product. I think it's, it's that simple. I think it's getting inside of the buyer's head and really understanding their jobs to be done. Clayton Christensen, who's a Harvard Business School professor, has a concept of jobs to be done. If you want to check out, he's got a Harvard Business Review article that came out about nine months ago, a new book that came out last year that talks about this concept, and it was originally introduced 10 plus years ago. But if you don't know what your buyer does day to day, month to month, quarter to quarter, and how your product fits into that, what were they doing the minute before they started using your product what did they do the minute after they stopped using your product and did it really help them that much? I think way too many sales reps, they focus on one thing and that's the signature event, the contract signing. And if you don't understand what your customer is going to do with your product after they, after you sell it to them and they start using it, implementing it and actually getting up and running and then finding success with it, boy, you are you're solving for the wrong problem. I want to ask you a question. I just, I like your personality. I like the style and you're just kind of no BS attitude. So I have to ask this. What do you think is the biggest piece of BS advice that's floating around out there in the world of sales that people need to quit listening to? Almost all of it. <laughs> okay. No, seriously. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm not, I'm not joking. I think that go look on LinkedIn and show me how many VPs of sales who have been successful VPs of sales before are giving advice. None. You know what they're doing? They're hiring the people they worked with before and they're kicking ass. That's what they're doing. They're not running around saying you shouldn't cold call or shouldn't social sell or you should do challenger. You should do whatever. Uh, that's people that are, are giving advice are trying to look. Here's the thing. If people are trying to give advice, they're trying to interview for a paid advice giving engagement. That's typically what's going on. I would say pretty much 100% of the time, that's what's going on. I uh, completely agree with you. It's, it's funny to me, one of the things that I love about being here in Indianapolis, you know, I'm, I'm a sales trainer, I'm a sales coach, it's what I do for a living. As I look out amongst my quote unquote competition, and there's plenty of people that, that hang a shingle and say, hey, you know, I'm a sales trainer, a sales coach. None of them, literally none of them in my market have ever sold technology, ever. Most of them have never sold anything. And it blows my mind that they're the ones being hired into these companies. Corey, hey, I'm going to take a quick break so that we can say thank you to our sponsors. But when we come back, it's going to be time for the money round. So you don't go away. And sales sooners, you don't go away either. We'll be right back. Pipedrive is the sales CRM built by salespeople for salespeople. I love it because it allows me to visualize my pipeline, highlighting opportunities and potential problems, ensuring I don't drop the important activities and conversations needed. And the managers I work with love it because it's simple and they don't have to nag their team to actually use it. But sales sooners, don't just take my word for it. You can check it out for yourself for free for 30 days. 
at salesooners.com slash pipe drive. We're back and it's time for the money round. Corey, are you ready for the money round? I'm ready. Here we go. What's the one thing that has contributed most to your transformation from normal to exceptional? Doing really hard work that's not part of my standard job description. If you were to start over today in sales, what would you tell yourself to spend the next 30 days doing? I'd go sell shoes or sell cars. I'd do something where I could give somebody a product in exchange for cash that changes what they do. Not setting meetings, not setting demos, actually performing transactions. Two-part question for you here. Which phrase describes you best and why? I love to win or I hate to lose. I love to win. And the reason is that losing isn't losing. Losing's learning, but winning's a hell of a lot more fun than learning. What's a book besides your own that you've read multiple times or always find yourself recommending to others? The Toyota Way by Jeffrey Liker. It's an amazing business book. And I think that salespeople need to learn more about business and less about how to write cold emails because that doesn't really matter. And sales tuners, if you'd like to check out Corey's suggestion of the Toyota way for free, head on over to salestuners.com slash book. And there you can sign up for a free 30 day trial of audible and browse their over 150,000 titles. Again, that's the Toyota way at salestuners.com slash book. Corey, what's currently at the top of your bucket list? Well, I want to go eat sushi in Japan and Vietnamese food in Vietnam. Corey, what's the biggest piece of advice you have for all the sales tuners out there grinding today? Figure out where you want to be and work backwards. Figure out how to fill in that missing skill set that you don't have yet and just aggressively work towards it and great things will happen. I'm going to get you out of here on this one. How could someone find you or connect with you if they wanted to after the show? If you can't find me on LinkedIn, you don't have eyeballs. Corey, this has been an absolute pleasure like I knew it would be. Thank you so much for joining me. Thanks, Jim. I appreciate it. Corey wrapped up by saying, if you can't find him on LinkedIn, then you don't have eyeballs. That said, a simple search for Corey Bray will bring him up and you'll see just how active he is on the platform, posting videos seemingly every other day. Let's get to my top takeaways. Number one, develop your persona pain feature content matrix. Think through each persona you sell to. What pain or pains do you solve for that specific type of person or company? Then list out all the features of your product that directly correlate to that pain and that person. Lastly, determine what content and stories you have that match all of the above. Number two, don't conflate sales training with sales coaching. A good sales trainer can teach you what to do. A great sales coach can help you understand how to do it, but even more importantly, why you should. Take for instance, prospecting. Through training, I can teach you what to do all day long, but it's not until you actually try to apply it that the real learning begins. Then you bring it back and we adjust based on those findings. Number three, write it down. You can call me old school, but I still believe in physically writing things down. Regardless of whether you do it manually or digitally, reading over your notes helps you understand what you think you heard versus what you actually heard. Recording calls is great for verbatim recognition, but are what determine how well you actually understand something and or what you think is important. That's it. Those are my takeaways, but I'd love to hear yours. Please tweet at me at SalesTuners or shoot me an email, jim at SalesTuners.com. I reply to every message that I get. All right. I hope to see you next week where I'll go one-on-one with the FBI's former head of hostage and terrorism negotiation, Chris Voss. Until then, I'm Jim Brown. Let's make it rain. Thanks for listening to Sales Tuners. 
stay up to date at www.salestuners.com. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review us on iTunes. And they stay there. And they stay there. Why do we say pair of pants when it's just one article of clothing?